Looking to step up your self-care game? Best Buds makes a great addition to your routine. Best Buds is a premier manufacturer of federally compliant cannabis products. Their products include bud, CBD, oils, gummies, lotions, edibles, vape, pre-rolls, you name it. I love these products. If you live in Charleston, they will even bring them to your door. I have ordered stuff at like noon and there they are like two hours later. I love the gummies. My, my typical routine is this. I do an oil in the morning and I do a, a gummy at night. If I want a little more oomph, I'll go with one of the Delta 8 gummies. If I just kind of mellowing out one of the CBDs, the topicals are great for pulled muscles, especially if you're starting back up with a workout routine. Those topicals are amazing. And there's a beard oil that, uh, that smells really great. I don't have a beard, but I've smelled it. It's a great product. And you can go to bestbudsbff.com and use promo code YOGI10, Y-O-G-I-10, and get 10% off your purchase. Let's mellow it out this year, y'all. Hey there, friends. If you are like me, where you have a head with no hair but lots of skin, then Mantle Skincare could be the product you are looking for. It is a simple and effective system, a cleanser, a SPF moisturizer, and a moisturizer. Simple packaging, clean, smells great, easy to use. I have been using these products for, I don't know, two years. They were created or co-created by Karamo Brown of uh, Queer Eye fame, a fellow bald person. And uh, they, they're great because I don't know about you, but like I used to feel weird about using shower gel on my scalp, but face wash seemed too extravagant. And Mantle's Cleanser is designed to be used on your whole head. So whether you are completely bald or you just have some stubble, it works great. Doesn't leave it greasy. Same with the SPF and the moisturizer. You can apply these over your whole head. I do one pump of the moisturizer, literally all over my face, my neck, my head, my ears. Then I do the SPF, which is the best SPF I have used. It's this clear kind of gel and it just goes on. It disappears into your skin. Doesn't feel like you sweat it into your eyes later or, or feels gross or anything like that. But Mantle, M-A-N-T-L dot com, use promo code YOGI15 for 15% off on your purchase. And let's go into 22 looking great. Hey there, friends. Jay Stephen Willard here. Another week, another episode of There Once Was a Yogi. Very happy and excited about this episode. It is with my... My friend, teacher, and mentor, Cindy Lee. That's Cindy with an I. And uh, I do a lot of fawning at the top of this episode because she truly is a, a very important person in, uh, in my life and in my, uh, my career. Uh, Cindy has been teaching yoga for years, like 30 plus years. And she used to have the yoga center uh, in New York City, Ohm Yoga in Union Station. It was right above the, uh, the Strand Bookstore used to be one of the first stops I would always make whenever I was in New York City and I was uh, lucky enough to teach there a few times and um, I think I had Maggie Gyllen <laughs> Maggie blah shit <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal's sister Maggie Gyllenhaal <laughs> in one of my classes there uh, which was very exciting and that's why I can now call myself a celebrity teacher and a national teacher but anyway um, Cindy and I talk a little bit about yoga we talk politics we talk books we talk so many things. She's a fascinating woman, and um, I, I have to have her on again because we didn't even talk about in her previous life. She choreographed many music videos, including the iconic uh, Cindy Lauper Girls Just Want to Have Fun video. Uh, but we talk about a lot of stuff, and uh, you should definitely check out her website for teachings, especially her uh, asana teachings. She's not really doing as much of that anymore, which makes me uh, quite sad. But it's a, it's a delightful conversation. Um, when we stopped recording, uh, we both were like, God, it felt like that just kind of went all over the place and didn't seem very cohesive. But it was like an actual conversation that Cindy and I would have if we were having dinner over a glass of wine. So I hope you enjoy it, and uh, I hope you're doing well during, uh, I hope your apocalypse is going well. <laughs> Until next time.
Yay. Cindy Lee, everyone. <laughs> this is, I, I, have, I have been both so excited and hesitant at the same time to ask you on because I'm gonna try to say that I'm, I'm gonna get all the fawning and kissing your ass out of the way, like oh. at the top. <laughs> because you are truly one of the most important, like, I don't know if you know this, but you are like one of the most important uh, people and teachers, like in my life. I would not be, and I've, I've said this so many times, like in class, like in reference to you, that I would not be the teacher I am if I had never met you. Well, I, I think, I hope that's a good thing. I hope it is too. I hope yeah, people are like, yeah, because like meeting, like I had this idea when I first started doing this, however many years ago now, like 16, 17, something like that, uh, of how I was supposed to be, you know, mm -hmm. what I was like, how I was supposed to speak and what I was supposed to do, blah, 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 you know, all the, all the shoulds. And, um, because I was for a good part of my life, I was very much a rule follower. No one believed that, but <laughs> I was very much a rule follower for a long time. And uh, I had been a, a, an admirer of yours for a long time, like even before I started teaching. And so when you came to Charleston for the first time, I was like so excited to, or not for you for the first time, but the first time I met you, and going to dinner with you and you, you ordered a margarita and uh, chicken enchiladas. And I was like, we can do that. <laughs> and I think we had a couple of margaritas that night. And, every, and ever since, every time I see you, we always have wonderful libations and conversations. And studying with you directly and indirectly, I was like, oh, I can be myself <laughs> and do this. And so for that, I am eternally grateful to you. Oh, well, I'm so glad because yourself is such a wonderful self. And um, we wouldn't want your light to be under a bushel anymore. Right? Can you imagine me with like the passive aggressive yoga whisper voice? <laughs> All right. We're going to come to a seated position. Oh, that's <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't you find though that that's really how people like now, like yoga teachers are being way more authentic, I think. Then I know when I first started uh, practicing like seriously, like back in 95 or something, like everyone was, you know, very gauzy and <laughs> very soft <laughs> around the edges. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, honestly, I don't know what yoga teachers are like these days. I'm really out of the loop. But I will say that it's quite a challenge to really find your voice and and I don't mean like find your inner voice but that's all part of it but your speaking mm -hmm. voice as a yoga teacher because uh you know it's a conversation I think of teaching as a mm -hmm. conversation only I'm the only one that's talking and this but you have to listen to your students and watch them and you know how I always say say one thing and then watch and see how that lands. And then you'll know what to say next or what to do next, or maybe do nothing. And so you're, it's a conversation, but it's not your normal conversational voice because you yeah. have to project and you want to emphasize certain things. And also, you know, I mean, a lot of yoga teaching is not complete sentences. Very true. You know, <laughs> so there is a weird voice thing that kind of, or it's just, it's a different voice. It's, you know, Anyway, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to be gauzy though. I know, that whole like, all right. <laughs> Relax. Or, or sometimes I would hear a teacher say something like, allow your eyes to gently open. Like your eyes were, were gonna snap shut, up, snap open otherwise, or they right. were begging, begging for permission. Please allow me to open. You know, it's like all this languaging and yeah. anyway, don't get me started. I know, I think uh, you, and I said this to Jason uh, Crandall uh, a few months ago when I interviewed him, because he's the other one in my like OGs of, you know, influences. Like, I think, yeah, taking classes with y'all and, and workshops and stuff have, makes me so mindful of, of the words I choose of like, bloom your pelvis. Like, what the hell, <laughs> what the fuck does that even mean? Like, can your pelvis bloom? Well, I'm not <laughs> doing that in a classroom with other people anyway. You know, I mean, some people might, but I'm not doing that. You know, exactly. it's very interesting, though, because 
I, I, I'm not teaching teacher training anymore, but in my last uh, probably uh, four, one, four trainings that I taught, and, and even in the meditation teacher trainings, um, I, I required people to read a novel in the 200 hour and the 300 hour because it's more extended. I, I required them to read a novel and, and because I'm me, I made them tell me what novel they were gonna read and I had to wow. approve it. Not that I'm you know the book police, but I wanted them to get some good literature and start to create a habit of reading and getting language. You know, mm. expanding your use of language, your understanding of language, your love of language, because when you're teaching yoga, that's not your only means of communication, but it's a very powerful one. I agree. And, you know, that's one of the things I look forward to most uh, from you is like at the end of, end of a year, or beginning of the years when you post your your book list. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I went so many years without reading, like as a kid, you know, fiction was my, was my escape. And yeah. then I don't know the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, I've, I've probably primarily only read nonfiction, uh, either, you know, books on, on Buddhism or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, yoga or wanting to actually learn stuff about the world, you know, that I'd never read before, mm -hmm. like political stuff. And so I, I, totally fell out of the fiction realm and I could tell the difference like yeah yeah so I think last year I, I I started reading fiction again and yeah there's a there's something about that that does pour over into the teaching of where you you'll use a word that maybe you would never have thought to use before but you come mm -hmm. across and like oh that would be a lovely word to put in an instruction for yeah, or it just gets in you and you don't even know it, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some also some incredible nonfiction writers that have, you know, transcendent language. But um, I, I did the same thing. I was only reading nonfiction for eons. And then when I started writing Yoga Body Buddha Mind, which I think I started in about 99, um, I didn't want to read any more you know, Dharma books or yoga books. <laughs> right. I was like, why? I got to keep, you know, it's hard enough to keep my ideas straight, you know, without mm. getting influenced. And um, of course, I just read, I just read somewhere, somebody saying that because they were writing a book and somebody said, it's okay to be influenced. You're not going to say it the same way. You're not stealing. We're all influenced. But anyway, so exactly. I started reading fiction. And I have to say, during this pandemic, it's been really great. Like last month I read five books and one of them was even 500 pages. In Which is amazing to me. Well, it was amazing to me too. But um, I was sick a lot last month. I didn't have COVID. I just, I just had, I was just sick. But, um, but it was, it, it's like the way, the place we're in the, the pandemic right now, so many of us are just like really kind of, feeling very stuck mm -hmm. and, you know, a little bit recessed. I don't want to say depressed because I don't want to be disrespectful to, you know, people that have, you know, serious depression, but, you know, it's kind of like, ugh, it's a slog. And I just thought, I, I, I don't care. I'm going to read anything that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And there's some incredible fiction out there. And I just, I just, it's like, I'm gorging. It's like binging on eating ice cream. Right. I uh, was reading a lot of classic stuff that I'd either never read or was supposedly read in high school, but probably read the, uh, back then, I think we used um, Cliff Notes back then. I forget what they're called now. So like I read Moby, Bit, Moby Dick in 2020, it, which was not an enjoyable read. Uh, really, why? <laughs> But it kind of felt like I had to read it or something. Yeah. And uh, Middle Middle March is another book that I keep oh. thinking that, and I I just keep getting to the same point and like yeah, no, I'm, just forget I'm it. Digging this. Yeah. Um, yeah Here's it. a book for you. Hell of a book. That's the name of the book. Hell oh. of a book. It's by Jason Mott. He won the National Book Award last year. It is incredible writing, gorgeous, beautiful story about interdependence. And this writer, 
um, black man uh, author. He is uh, has so much humanity and so much goodness uh, that it's just deeply moving to read this book. And he Ooh. won the National Book Award, you know. Um, oh, okay. And if you read the description, they say, oh, it's a new take on Black Lives Matters. And it sounds really awful and depressing, but it, and it, it's tough in some parts, but it's really beautiful. I just want every single person to read this book. Hell of a book. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, uh, when I go out later today, I'll swing by the bookstore. Do you buy or do you go to the library? I buy and then I give them all away. I you love know. that, by the way. Yeah. I, I tend to be a book hoarder. Well, I have had that phase too, but <laughs> I'm moving from a gigantic house to a small casita and mm. no hoarding can take place. So I'm in, I'm in purging mode and it feels so good, Stephen. I, I mean, every book I, I put in the little library on the corner or I give it to the actual Aww. library or I send it to friends, you know, even if it costs more than that. buying the book. Yeah, and my <laughs> husband reads a lot of them and, it, and then we, we have our own little book club. And, um, and so the other book I wanna recommend is called Less, L-E-S-S. -S, oh, Less. I read that. Loved Isn't that, that good? Book. Loved oh, that book. Everyone listening to this podcast, you must run, not, not walk, turn cartwheels to the bookstore <laughs> to get Less by Andrew Sean Greer. Pulitzer mm -hmm. Prize winning book. So again, an author with so much heart, so much humanity. Oh, it, it was, uh, yeah, I just, oh, I loved that book so much. Like so I, much. this is how I always judge a book is as I start getting close to the end, if I, if I am like, oh my God, I'm not ready for this to end where mm -hmm. I'll read a page <laughs> and then put it away. I know, I know. And the next day, read another I page. Know. Which is why uh, Patty Smith, uh, Just Kids was I think oh. was another book like that. Or then it got to where I would read a paragraph, put it down. Great, great book. Do you read books? books? Do I what? Do you like to reread books? I very few. There's been a few I have, but then there's a point of where I'm like, there's so much other stuff that it's exactly. like, okay, why am I? And reading is such more of a um, uh, a commitment than you know watching. Like I can watch Moonstruck. I probably have watched Moonstruck a hundred times. <laughs> That's easy. You you just sit there right. an hour and forty minutes. It's done. But right. you know, a book. Right. I just interviewed him. I uh, is like yes. okay. This takes time. Right. Right. Why why go back to it when there's so much new stuff? I totally agree. That's what nonfiction is. I guess for. that'd be like. Right. Right. Totally. Totally. You can reread um, nonfiction again because you're studying or something, but. I agree. So let's let's dip into the yoga pool. I have so many things I uh, want to ask you about. What uh, what is what's your take or feeling on? Because it to me it seems because I you know I talk to a lot of people. Um, the yoga community seems very split into two right now. I think since COVID especially, but. Mm -hmm what's your take on that i mean uh, and do you think we'll ever do you think period will we all ever kind of find our way back to the middle tell me the two parts that were that you see well so i think that it's the one camp of uh you know covid isn't real don't get the vaccine oh. mask or blah 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 the spiritual equivalent of all lives matter etc and then you've got the other side of uh, where it's like, mask up, get your backs, BLM. Well, uh, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, 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 I think that we, sh I just think that um, this whole fighting is a, a drag, really a big drag. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that that's the root of it. And it's not just in yoga. And I don't have any answers except that everybody should read this book, hell of a book, because, you know, it's, it's about interdependence and in a hundred mm. different ways, if we can understand that, then, you know, I mean, the best way to get, if you've ever had a partner or a friend or a parent 
or a coworker, or you know, you were a bartender, you know that the best way to get somebody to do what you want requires skillful means. Mm. And, you know, just telling somebody straight up, do this or don't do that, is not very effective. You know, mm-hmm. and if you do tell somebody just do this and do that, because I said so, that relationship won't last very long, you know. Right. So, uh, I think that everybody just telling everybody how they should think and it's not working. And um, it makes me sad. I also think that frankly, it's stupid. Everybody should get the damn vaccine. You know, I don't understand Stephen, why yoga, my understanding of yoga is really that it is absolutely about interdependence. You know, it's about how we're all sharing everything and it doesn't make any sense otherwise, you know? And uh, I just can't understand w- why it feels good to um, not, I mean, I don't understand why it feels good to be in denial that so many people have gotten sick and died from this and it's mm-hmm. awful and it's so awful. It's, well, it's very interesting, you know, my mom, my mom's 84. And, uh, you know, she and my stepfather go to this, you know, very small uh, country church on a, one of the barrier islands. And um, she just told me this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, they're both vaxxed and everything. And that uh, she was telling me that her um, minister and his wife, you know, don't believe in masks, don't believe in the vaccine, et cetera. And I, I was like, that's so interesting because they she has told me stories about them before and they go to the doctor for everything else. And it's like, why would you believe, why do you believe every other part of science and medicine, but not this part, but also too, it's to me seems that if Christianity is supposed to be about loving your neighbor as much as yourself, like why wouldn't you take steps to protect your neighbor? You know, we live next door to a church here We live next door to the first Christian church here in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is the home of Jerry Falwell and Liberty University and Thomas Rhodes Baptist Church. And this church next door to us, the first Christian church is the Disciples of Christ Church, which I know all about because my father was a Disciples of Christ minister. They're very, very liberal. They, um, you know, that's the same religion as uh, William Barber, the Poor People's Campaign. You know, they are all about social justice. This church has a big gay flag that they fly that gets torn down about once a week and they put up a new one. And, you know, they're, it's a wonderful church and they're wonderful people. And I love having them as neighbors. And then we had a snow storm a couple of weeks ago, like pretty big snow, you know, a couple of feet, foot and a half of snow, something like that. That's big for here. So um, we, you know, did our sidewalk, took what's it called, shoveled the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. The neighbors next door to us who voted for Youngkin did not shovel the sidewalk until then they got embarrassed and then they did. And they told us that. (laughs) But then, and then the People on the other side of the church did their sidewalk. In other words, everybody in the block did their sidewalk except the church. And we were very annoyed with them. And we thought, what's going on? And, you know, I, I mean, I can, I know they have lots of things to do and they don't live there and they don't live in the street and they maybe don't know that, that it was that, but it made me reflect on how churches and organizations like that um, with their purpose and their and their view and as yogis what is our view and as a buddhist what is my view and mm-hmm. my husband brad that you know very well who you know very well um is an is a scholar of the history of economic thought which begins with churches in america oh. that's what economics was it was all about churches in america i'm not going to go into that but it's too long but so one of their one of their real you know, raison d'etre was, we care about other people. We aren't just here for ourselves. We're, we want to literally care about and care for. Right. And it was like right in the mission statement. And in fact, that was in the gestalt, that was in the ethos of, of, you know, much of America. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's, 
it's gone away somehow. And that's what I really feel like is so, so weird and so, so sad and so missing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just, I just think about that a lot. I don't know uh, what any answers are, except, you know, to start with yourself and try to be, you know, so, so Brad went out there and he shoveled their sidewalk for them. Oh, Brad's such a nice guy. <laughs> um, before we go further in the yoga thing, I just thought of this while while you were talking, uh, because when I met you, you were you were in New York, and you how long did you live in New York? Thirty four years. And now you're in Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> yes, but I'm moving in 123 days. Or is that really? Is it that soon? Yes. Oh, nice. Yes. What has that experience been like, though? Because <laughs> they were a little different. <laughs> you know what? It's been really, really uh, difficult, actually. I've been here for nine years, and it's been difficult pretty much the whole time. Been that long? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow. And um, there, it was difficult for a bunch of different reasons. But one of the reasons I remember, I mean... I just do not fit in. I do not have a tribe here. I, I don't have friends here. It's just, there's, there's, I just don't fit in here. Um, and, but, you know, it's, um, it's a very interesting thing to move out of someplace like New York, which is, I, it's an entire world, you know, mm-hmm. it's a universe. It's not just a town, as you know, it's a world. Mm-hmm. And I went there when I was 26. So it's almost like New York raised me and, you know, right. I, I adulted there, you know, I, yeah. I was really a kid when I went there and I turned into a, an adult and a business owner and a career and a kind of an, what we would now call an influencer, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and really came into my life in that place and there's all kinds of you know of of ways of being and ways of speaking and ways of dressing and um and hanging out with other people that Mm -hmm. is very particular to that place and i stink and love it but you know when when it came down here i remember crying at a certain point to brad and just going i miss my bubble i realized it's a bubble i hadn't really realized it then but i realized a bubble and my people my friends in boston were complaining about politics or something i'm like you don't get it you're in a bubble so that is the good side for me of moving here is i have come to learn about another part of our country and mm-hmm. um i mean there's tons of really lovely people here mm-hmm. um, and 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 but it's just a it's a it's such a gigantic country that they're just the culture is really different in different places. Right. And I, I have never found my place here. Uh, and there was another thing that was part of it for a long time that I'm also reflecting on as I get ready to leave, which is that, you know, in New York, I had a certain kind of status. I feel weird saying that, but I'm just saying it. But it's true. Yes you're my friend and you know what I'm talking about because you used to come to the studio and we would go Mm -hmm. out to lunch and we would know everybody in the restaurant and you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, you know, for better or worse, I worked hard and I gathered a certain amount of, um, you know, energy around that um, and appreciation. And um, then I came here and the first two things that were asked of me, one was like, Somebody said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a yoga teacher. And they said, oh, we have a yoga teacher. <laughs> and then the next person said, oh, but you won't work anyway now that your husband is the, is the president of the college. You, you, you'll probably quit working, right? And so that was like right from the get-go. So nobody gives a shit about me here. And mm. it's very painful. Oh, I can, oh I, and I've experienced that before too. Yeah, and it's very different. Can, my husband is, um, you know, a big star, you know, big fish in a little pond because he's the right. president of the local college. And so everybody wants him. When we go out to dinner or we walk down the street and people see us, they they grab on him and they talk his ear off and they don't even say hello to me. And if they don't remember my name, which they don't, 
even after all these years, they don't. And it's not a hard name. I mean, really, they, they call me ma'am, which is really not what a New York woman ever wants to be called, you know? Right. And, and so that has been a very powerful lesson as well, mm-hmm. you know, to just, you know, to recognize that I had a certain sense of, of my place and that I came here and I was unseen. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? And why is that important? And is it important? And is that just a, my gigantic ego? Or, or do I have something to offer? And it's painful that nobody wants it? Or, you know, I mean, just a lot of questions. It's been really a challenge to live here. Yeah. What is it? Well, yeah. Because I, well, I think last time I saw you, last time we were in, in the same room together was 2019, I think. I think, was that when you came to Charleston and did yeah, a weekend, I think? Yeah. And, um, yeah, every time I've seen you in this part of your life, <laughs> it's very clear you're not thrilled with it. Um, what has that, what has this last nine years of living there, how has that shaped and changed your practice? I have a, I have theories because when I read your last email, I was like, ah. oh, I wonder, I wonder if she would have done this had she stayed in New York. Yeah, well, that's a very interesting, I think there's there's a, more than one answer to that question as well. But yeah, I have come to a place, I mean, I'm 68 and a half now. So, you oh, know, definitely not a chicken. Well, thank you, darling. Um, I mean, I don't really have my lighting for this um, Zoom. Right <laughs> anyway, uh, um, uh, you know, so I think that there's some kind of very organic you know, evolutions happening with me, which I'll talk about in a second, but I did start a yoga studio here and I had a yoga studio for about four years called Yoga Goodness. And and it was really fun. It was also, you know, it had a certain level of, um, you know, a sangha, Mm -hmm. but there are definitely a lot of people here who are very afraid of yoga and even more afraid of meditation. And they told me why they said, if you keep your mind empty, which is, we know not what meditation is anyway. (laughs) Right. Keep your mind empty. The deceiver can come in there. I never even heard that term before. That means the devil. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, wow. Okay. So there's that, but but I, I sold it because I had to get uh, my hip replaced and I just, I just wasn't able to, you know, keep going. And mm-hmm. it was a kind of a turning point for me physically, but, um, but, you know, the, the, the thing about teaching in New York and back in the day, and I think there's, this is still happening. It happens at Holy Cow for sure. That there's people that come up through your classes that come into beginners and they come up through. So you have a school, if you will, mm-hmm. you, know, you have an institute, not everybody teaches the same, but there's, you know, a connection with the teaching. And, and when I've taught some teacher trainings lately, there are people in 300 hour teacher training that I mean, great people, but the trainings that they took didn't teach them hardly anything. So it's really mm-hmm. it's really difficult to to you know everything I teach. I think I feel like I have to start from the beginners level, right? And which is um, tough when you've been teaching not you know, beginners. If it's a beginners class, great. But if it's, it's not supposed to be a beginners class. But but the people in the class are not prepared for, you know, then it's then it's just difficult and it's hard to get a groove going in a language. And um, so I started to feel just very far away from whatever yoga is in the world right now. Um, So so there's that. But also I had a hip replacement. Then I had another hip replacement and then I was pretty traumatized by that. You know, I mean, oh, I would imagine get back up on their bike and they go for a jog and they're, you know, lifting weights. And I wasn't that person. I was, mm-hmm. I was just kind of honestly kind of traumatized by it and very frightened to do anything. And it's almost exactly four years later. 
and I'm good to go. I can do anything I want. If I want to do the splits, I could do the splits. I'm not afraid. But it's been a long, very, very gentle process of getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure I could teach a good yoga class still. Oh, I have no doubts. Just saying, <laughs> but but um, but I don't I don't have a place to teach it anyway. You know, I mean, we're teaching on Zoom, and um, that's a different kettle of fish too. Oh, so I, I you might know? get in a limbo. You know. Yeah. Uh, do you think you'll uh, Do you think you'll do some asana teaching once you get to Santa Fe? Uh, no, I, I think I probably won't because really, I don't know where I would teach. I mean, I, I actually, there's one place I could teach, but I don't, I don't, uh, I think, you know, like if I moved to Charleston and I taught at Holy Cow, for example, um, that would be a fit, you know, just walk right. in the door and it's a fit. I mean, I already know half the people there and we're all you know, <laughs> right. much copacetic. <laughs> But I don't know if there's there there's that place in Santa Fe. So, you know, oh. I don't I just don't feel like doing that. But I do think I will teach some retreats still. Oh, good. OK, I know. When I saw the email, I was like, oh, my gosh, like there was a because I haven't I haven't uh, I haven't always had the um, the luxury of studying with you directly due to, you know, time and Right, reality. finances, whatever reality, but uh, you know, anytime something comes out on Yoga uh, International or whatever, it, you know, it's almost as good. <laughs> as being well, I did get a lot of, I did get quite a lot of emails and people saying, you know, say it isn't true, you know. Right. Because- well, that was my feeling. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Well, you know, never say never. Never say never. If Cher said, "I'm never, I'm never performing live again," I'd be like, "What?" (laughs) Right. I know. You're my Cher. I know. (laughs) Oh boy. You're my yoga Cher. Oh my god, that's the nicest thing anybody said in days. That's a compliment. I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, So, how long ago did you become a, a, a Buddhist chaplain? Um, well, I started the training in 2015, and I was ordained in 2018. Okay, wow. So do you think that that's, is that um, a path you think life is sort of steering you down more of a chaplaincy, Dharma teaching? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. I mean, I had a sense also when I first um, moved away from New York. Um, I had been teaching for so many years and traveling and teaching for so many years. And frankly, I was exhausted from it. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I needed a little break and I went to Upaya and I just kept going to Upaya. And that's what I was hoping is that I would be able to devote myself to my Dharma studies and practices mm-hmm. more, at least for a period of time, because I had missed a lot of retreats and initiations and different things I wanted to do because of the studio, you know, mm-hmm. and be there. And, and so I did that. And um, and my teacher, Gallic Rinpoche, was still alive then. And I got to spend a lot more time with him and was very precious to me, you know. And, uh, and, and I mean, that's what Om Yoga really, it was a Dharma mm-hmm. teaching with the body. Right, exactly. You know? It's not like I would give a Dharma talk and then we do yoga. It's like the yoga is the practice for the Dharma, you know, understanding, you know, the study and the practice. So I always wanted to, to do that anyway. And so now I'm doing it. I uh, I pulled out your 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 DVD a couple of weeks ago actually and did it. <laughs> the one from what was that like two thousand? Wow, yeah. And it was wild. It was all. It was also a little, you know. Uh, it was nostalgic for sure to see the room, yeah. to see one of the rooms. Yeah. Again. Yeah. And uh, Jacoby and I have uh, Jacoby Ballard, who you had yeah. uh, the Insta Live with. We were chatting recently. 
And um, I, I, oh, I think I said, it's like, oh, Cindy's one of my favorite people. I'm so excited to see this. And he's like, how do you know Cindy? And I was like, well, you know, I was in and out <laughs> through them. And he's like, oh my God, I wonder if we ever passed in the halls. <laughs> like, who knows? Very, very possible. But yeah, the, it, because you know, it's a rare thing for a yoga studio to actually feel, which is kind of sad to say, to actually feel like a community. You know, yeah. you know I, I was in Nashville, uh, and I went to, a, I took a class and it was a very, you know, very too cool for school kind of <laughs> attitude. Like no one speaks to anyone. Mm. <laughs> the teacher does it like, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, it, almost it like almost that. not like that. Almost, almost not very like that. chatty and very chatty, but also very, um, it was a real practice, you mm-hmm. know, real practice home I was so kind of really honored and uh talk about feeling seen when Alan Sanaki who is a sensei from the Berkeley Zen Center and um one of the co-teachers of the chaplaincy program at Upaya he said oh Om wasn't a yoga studio it was a dharma center you know mm-hmm. this is a zen priest you know a bald zen priest in a robe so I was like okay thank you um <laughs> But but it's true. I mean, and all the speakers that we had there and Rinpoche and, you know, Inkyo Roshi and Mark Epstein and Sharon Salzberg, Sharon Salzberg came. I mean, and I was doing all of that before everybody and their brother was doing that because that was just happened to be my practice. And um, I think that part of the reason it was such a community, there's more than one reason, but it's because I learned that from Gallic Rinpoche. Mm. You know, like if you went to a talk with Gallic Rinpoche and you came in late, you know, like, because you might've come in late, come in five minutes yeah. or something. I remember m- more than once coming in late and just, you think I'll just slip in to the back and sit in the back row, right? And he would go, oh, Cindy. Like, and you go, oh, God, you know? And he would say, it's so wonderful to see you here. Come right up to the front. Here's a space, make a space for her right in the front. And whoever it was, he would do that. And, yeah. we, and everybody would smile. Everybody loved it. Nobody would go, oh, God, who's coming? Right. In everybody would go, hi, how are you? And it reminds me of that ohm. You know, when I first started teaching, I tried to get people to use blankets for shoulder sand, and they didn't want to do it. And I mm-hmm. wanted them to use blocks, and they wouldn't they do it. They still don't, by the way. Well, I mean, I was bribing <laughs> them practically, you know. And, you know, I'll give you a 10% discount if you use the damn blanket, you know, but, but, but over time, people started to understand how they could use the props if they needed them. And then if you don't need it, you don't have to use it. And, and it was just part of the practice. And when someone um, would come in late, so we had a system for that where they waited and then you would open right. the door and late people would come in without me having to say anything, because at first I, I set this in motion and then it just became part of how it went. Um, everybody would move over and, you know, people would go, oh, there's no space in here. And then boom, here's a space, boom, here's a space. People would make space. Somebody would hand them a block. Somebody would hand them a blanket and it took two minutes and we carried on. And so that's community. And, mm-hmm. and I learned that from my teachers. Oh, that's so, um, oh, that, that just gives me like, the heart flutters. Um, what do you do? You are you are you following or keeping up with like what's going on in the yoga world at all? And if, if so, what are your what are your hopes of where we may go? You know, I know that two two um, groups that I work with. One is Yoga International. They've just so, that's young. Yeah, that's a big. Uh, a big part of my income. I've worked with them for many years. So I have a lot of, I've worked them for, I've worked with them for almost 10 years. So I have a lot of content oh. from there. And, um, and they've just sold their company to Gaia. Oh, and then did you know that? I did not know that. Well, it's very interesting. Um, yeah. You can, you can listen to spirituality and see what Matthew Remsky and his team have to say about uh, it. I love that. Yeah. Um, and then um, I also work with Tri Yoga. Mm-hmm. Out of London, right? And they, yeah. And they have 
uh, sold to a gym chain, a fitness chain. Wow. You know, I mean, it's a long time for somebody, you know, for a yoga studio to stay yeah. in business during this pandemic. And so, and, and both of them have said the same thing that within this, under this new umbrella, they'll be able to keep their own, you know, their own gestalt um, intact. Mm. And I, and I hope that's the case, but you know, yeah. So maybe I, asking you to throw on a sports bra and a. Oh boy. <laughs> that is not going to happen. Even if I'm wearing a shirt. Oh, maybe that was a TMI anyway, but yeah, it's, it's so interesting, Stephen. I mean, yoga works wanted to buy own at mm -hmm. one point way back in the day. And I didn't want to do it. And so I didn't do it. And, you know, and they bought up everybody and now they're basically out of business. They're gone. Yeah, and I think they're just doing online now. When I closed home, people said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. But if I start another yoga studio, it's going to be like a little tiny studio with no sign, just tucked away somewhere. And word of Right. That's kind of my dream, Cindy, is just to have like, you know, maybe seven classes a week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Very you, slow flows. Yeah, exactly. And um, I remember Molly Fox, who's a great fitness teacher and, uh, and a yoga teacher and a friend of mine. She told me once, she said, you know, all you really need is four walls and a roof for yoga. And it's true. And you've overcomplicated it. Well, it's also just a, almost an impossible business model. Mm -hmm. So, right. Because it's not a very profitable. Uh, I was teaching at a studio out at Kiowa and uh, have you been out there on any of your no. trips to Charleston? No, that's where Barb teaches, right? She teaches out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the center, the shopping center where the uh, studio was uh, in addition to your rent, you had to also pay a percentage of your sales every month. And oh. for a yoga studio, that's not really feasible because you know, you just because of the business no. model, and, and so, so obviously it closed. But um, but yeah, and there, you know, are you familiar with um, Priscilla Patrick? No. She she uh, she lives in Columbia, South Carolina. I think she's still alive. Uh, but she had a show on the uh, the PBS, you know, the mm -hmm. South Carolina PBS for forty years or more. Mm -hmm. And you know, she had her little you know salt and pepper ponytail and her uh her unitard and love it she would yeah and she would there was no vinyasas like she would just teach these fabulous poses and as i was getting you know more and more involved in the practice i was like oh i really want to like study with her and this is you know pre-internet and so i finally found like a, where she taught in uh columbia and she had made a little studio in her house and she only took five students every six weeks and at first i'm like yeah. that's ridiculous and now i'm like that sounds like heaven. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, that's one way to do it. I, I mean, I think there's there's a few different ways to do it, but uh, it's it's it, it's becoming abundantly clear that you know having a big yoga studio with showers and you know uh, a store and uh. and all the just like massive overhead. You know, mm -hmm. people used to steal toilet paper and blocks and all kinds of things from home. And I know it really, I really took it personally because I thought they don't, you know, when something gets this big and this nice, you just kind of assume that there's nobody at the top, but it was just me. And it was like, right. Hey, I took my toilet paper. Okay. <laughs> right. You know? Where are you going with that blanket? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your, uh, what does your asana practice look like today? New oh, hits. My asana practice is, um, about 20 to 30 minutes in length, basically. It's almost the same every time. Um, and I do every kind of a pose. And um, it, it's very non-ambitious. Um, <laughs> you know, Likewise. And, and it's almost the same. And then it's kind of interesting because I will naturally get bored and then do something that I suppose I even forgot. I mm -hmm. never knew that's somehow been dormant in my 
muscle memory or something, you know? Um, and I do it, um, I, I usually do it at about five or 5.30, which is my- no, God. Oh, okay. <laughs> better than that. Yeah. I was wondering, because I'm going to tell one of my favorite stories about you after you <laughs> tell God. your awesome. Well, you know, but I, I mean, that's my longtime habit from having OM is that I was either teaching at six or I would take a class or I would take a class at four and then teach at six or something like that. And I, I really like that. That's sort of the rhythm of my, of my body mm -hmm. is to practice, oh. um, you know, sort of the very late, early late afternoon, early evening. I love it. And then, um, and then, you know, not every time, but often do, you know, meditate at the end and then make dinner. Oh, that sounds sweet. <laughs> well, the I, uh, I taught at nine 30 this morning, uh, which to me is very early. Really? And, um, you know, and since we've had to add this zoom component, I've had to teach on the mat more than I like. Because I'm not, yeah. you know, you, I, again, it's something I think I, I learned from you is like, I miss the walking around and the like right. eyes on bodies thing. Right. Because and Jason and I talked about this because, and I think he said it, he's like, you know, if I, if I'm having to do the class as I teach it, I don't feel like I'm doing either particularly well. And so yeah. that, which is how I feel too. Like, I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I'm practicing it's just weird but it, it, at 9 30 it's like oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so all right so well, before i i close with the question oh go ahead i was going to say that 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 has been a question throughout the pandemic too of um of, while teaching yoga because i did teach quite a lot of yoga i've taught tons of yoga classes and i taught a 300 hour teacher training last year that had a lot of yoga in it um and um I was doing the yoga and I kept thinking, why am I doing the yoga? You know, like right. I don't do the yoga. Well, I, that's not what I, I don't believe that the teacher should be doing the yoga. That's not your, your practice is teaching. Why am I doing this? And I thought, well, I, you know what I think? It's like, it's on TV. And so you feel like, you're supposed <laughs> oh, to I channeled my inner Jane Fonda's workout. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to give a visual, right? It's a TV show kind of. Right. But but um, but then, uh, you know, after I had that group that kind of came together uh, in the tre mm. teacher training, I started, I stopped doing that because, mm. you know, with each other, because I really wanted to see them, but you still right. really see them very well. Uh, right. You know? Your Zoom folks are, are kind of on their own, which pains me so much. What, yeah. uh, about maybe eight or nine months into, uh, into this. Uh, I was teaching on Zoom and I was teaching uh, fire log. And so I've got my right leg on top and I'm like, wow, that feels really intense today. Like I've never, it's never felt like this before. I should probably keep going. And uh, so then I switch legs and I, I go to hinge forward and I hear this pop <gasps> in my knee. Yeah. And like my eyes get really big and I'm like looking at my knee swell and I, I managed <gasps> to scoot to the camera and, you know, mute and turn the camera off and then i'm like fuck 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 and like and, I, and i'm in a sweat and i have like 20 yeah. minutes to go so it ended up popping a, a tendon in my knee and which took a good year <gasps> it's still not there's still pose like it's angry today which means it's probably going to rain later um yeah but then i, I <laughs> so i was wearing a brace and then we started letting people in like very like four people and I just grabbed one of my regulars. I was like, I, I've got to put you in front of the camera because right. I can't, I can't do it. And I, you know, I, I in guard my way through it. I sat in a chair, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I taught because I was really getting burnt out, which I had never experienced as a teacher. Yeah. And then once I was like not having to do it and I was able to watch this body moving, I was like, oh, I got my Jones, I got my mojo back. And so yes. 95% of the time now, I call them visual references. I don't call them models, but, yes, <laughs> but yes. I'll have a visual reference. But uh, okay, so yeah. one of my favorite memories and stories of you, uh, I guess I guess I can say where this took place. Okay, maybe I won't say where, okay, it rhymes with Bogashmiel. And um, I was assisting you in a workshop and I think it was your first time there, I believe. 
bogus spiel. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were assisting me there. I assisted you. And uh, the first night, uh, there was, there was a woman that came who had like literally two weeks earlier gotten a new knee. And oh, yes. so you were like, okay, she's yours all weekend, which was great <laughs> training. I'm like, oh, how am I going to, okay, how is she going to do a sun salutation? So that was great training one. Mm -hmm. But my favorite part was, because uh, it started on Friday night and, you know, the guy from, from the, the grounds is there and he's like, okay, so in the morning there's meditation at at 5 a.m. and then there's a yoga class at 6.30 and breakfast is at 8.15. And so I was walking you back to your room and I was like, do you want me to come get you? And you were like, I'm not going to that. <laughs> I'm not going to that 5 a.m. meditation. I was like, okay, do you want me to come get you at 6.30? And you're like, What's time, what time is breakfast? 8.15. <laughs> okay, that's what time I want you to come get me. <laughs> and they had a coffee machine in my room. It, right. Well, you were in the the swanky like hotel part of the grounds. Right. I would I would say I wouldn't say swanky. Well, I was in a but, dorm. Right. Okay. <laughs> there's levels. There's levels. There's levels. Yes. With a communal um, bathroom, so you you okay. were in swanky, and okay. I also remember that you revealed to me in that weekend uh, because I felt alone in both of these things that you did not enjoy kirtans and you didn't particularly like Indian food, and I. <laughs> And I was like, yes, that's me too. Uh, I do like Indian food, but I don't I like, like it more now. I don't like Indian food when I'm on a yoga retreat. I mean, I I think it, it's like in Dharma, in Buddha Dharma, one of the first things in, that Gallic Rinpoche taught me when I when I showed up, one of the first teachings I heard was, you know, he's giving it to everyone. What was like, don't be a Buddha on the outside, you know, be a Buddha on the inside. So in other words, don't buy Buddha earrings and wear like all these malas up your arm and all of that stuff, you know, just like live the practice. And um, so just to say, I think that you could be a yoga person and you don't have to eat Indian food. It's too heavy to, for me. You cannot eat Indian food and then go practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would like, I don't mind Indian food, but somehow it's like every weekend that I would go anywhere Friday night you teach them till nine o'clock at night and then they take you out to Indian food and then you can't sleep and then you have to go right out. I mean it's just like it that doesn't make that doesn't really work so um but yeah I, so I remember like, going to uh I remember going to Los Angeles uh several years ago and uh, seeing a friend of mine and uh, he was taking me out to dinner and we ended up at this barbecue place. Okay. And um, I was like, why are we here? He's <laughs> like, oh, I just thought maybe you would want like a taste of home. And I was like, I was just home two days ago. <laughs> and I also, <laughs> I also don't eat a lot of barbecue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, yeah, hosts are always, oh, the hosts are always trying to be nice, you know, and, yes. and helpful. And it's, you know, it's all well, I always loved when you came because it meant that we were going to get at least one fun meal, meal and um, at least a bottle or two of wine. A bottle <laughs> or two, Stephen. Between three of us, you know, it wasn't I bad. stopped drinking during the pandemic <gasps> for a whole year. Oh, you're back. So, well, right. you know what? It was really interesting because I didn't really mean to stop, but at the beginning, Brad and I realized we we were just drinking too much, like at the very beginning of the lockdown. Mm. Like, well, we didn't know what. Everybody was doing something. It was just weird, right? Oh my so, gosh, I had the weirdest cravings during the first part. Because Diet you had Coke. Oh, yuck. That's yeah, I was like, like, why am I wanting a Diet Coke? Yeah, it was weird. All right, so we, are you familiar you know, with the- um... Oh, go ahead. You got, I was going to say, with the drinking, I just said, you know, I think I'm, we're drinking too much. I don't want to drink for a cup, you know, for like a week or something. I just don't want to drink at all. And then I didn't drink for a year. Wow. Just got, I was just sick of it. I just didn't feel like drinking. Well, and now I do now and then. And so it's really uh, nice to be in a middle path with something like that. Mm. I always think about like so many things uh, that that term because I feel like that that maybe you were the first one I ever heard of because you were probably my like 
you were probably my introduction into to Buddhism and all of that stuff because I, of course, knew about it on the edges. Right. But uh, I think you were the first person that maybe I read and I was like, oh, I think I want to know more about this thing. And uh, so, yeah, Middle Path always kind of comes to my mind. Uh, oh, well, I'll ask you this real quick before I do the, the final questionnaire. New book in the works or anything? There's a new book that's on my computer right now. And um, I don't, I don't yet exactly even know what it's about. Okay. I have given probably 12 copies of May I Be Happy Away. So, oh, thank you. I, what do I say? I love that book. All right. Are you familiar with the Bernard Pivo questionnaire? No, I am not. So it's rapid fire. This is also a practice for me because I'm going to try to not react to any of your answers. Oh. I have failed every single time. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> what is your favorite word? You have rendered me speechless. Although there is a word on the tip of my brain and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, it's either love or indigo. See, I'm trying that. What is your least favorite word? That'll probably be easier. QAnon. <laughs> Again, one of the reasons I love you or, so much. Or Trump. Yes, uh, what excites you? You know what excites me is when I see or feel or discover someone who is just so in their life, you know, that their that their creativity and their sense of presence and their ability to let that all flow through them, like whether it's like writing a great book or giving a talk or just being really fully in their life, that really inspires me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not shame, Somewhere. not second guessing, not trying to be different. You know, you're in yes. your flow, and it's. Uh, I love that. I do too. Same. Uh, what sound do you love? I love the sound of, uh, you know, the sleeping sounds um, in my bed at night between between my dog and my husband. I love that. Uh, what sound do you not like? <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, oh, I can't wait to hear this one. What's your favorite curse word? Well, it's very difficult to choose. Um, fuck. I mean, just, I, it's, right. It's an obvious one. Oh, it's so useful. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Uh, writing, writer. I feel like you are a writer. Oh, okay. Well, then how about- I mean, I'm not discouraging your answer, but <laughs> I, I, I see you as a writer. I will describe mm -hmm. you as a writer when I oh. do the intro to this. Oh, well, that's inspiring to me then. Um, I think I, I, think I, 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 I am fulfilled then. What profession would you not? like to attempt? Oh, um, I think like being a nurse. That is a very common, especially with the yoga teachers. Don't want to be a nurse? None of us want to do anything medical, bodily no, fluid related. I, I, I just I, I mean, one of my friends who's a yoga teacher and a very dedicated yogi is a nurse and it's so hard especially the last two years yeah and i think the hardest part is um she is like a, she's like a fucking buddha man you know i mean she just is that is her practice to be loving to every single mm. person no matter what and i i i just really admire that yeah know? and i know i don't have that and then last question if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> Oi. <laughs> no, that did, it, I mean, I, if, if heaven exists, if God exists, if there's so many ifs in that. Um, right. 
I think, you know, just something like welcome, relax. Uh, there's a party going on. Come on in, you know. <laughs> Rick James has been Rick James has been waiting for you. Oh, you know, I knew him, right? I know, and I didn't. We I didn't even get to any of those questions. That's going to have to be part two. Okay. But, well, Cindy, you hold tight, but everyone else is going to say farewell. And um, yes, I'll, I'll give you all the information later, kids. But uh, now I'm going to I'm going to privately gab with my friend. Thank so until you. next time. <laughs> Yay! Jay Stephen Willard here. If you want to practice with me, there are lots of options available to you. Maybe not lots, but there are a few. There's a YouTube channel. There once was a yogi. I have many practices up on that. Some are short, 10, 15 minutes. Some are an hour. Some are vinyasa yoga. Some are yin yoga. Some are meditation. Perfect to fit into your schedule. If you want to take a live class with me, you don't live in the Charleston area. I teach primarily at Holy Cow Yoga Center, Charleston's longest running yoga studio. It might even be the longest running studio in the country. But holycowyoga.com, you can take any of my classes via Zoom. Or if you want to work with me one-on-one -on -one with yoga or meditation, shoot me an email, there once was a yogi, at gmail, or DM me at, you guessed it, there once was a yogi. Look forward to seeing you on your mat.